If you're going to self-manage your rental properties, you know I'm a big fan of finding that proper tool to get the job done. Well, we want to tell you about RentReady. RentReady is a really awesome property management software that allows you to manage your business from your computer or phone. Collect rent online and get paid. Find that perfect tenant with their screening and listing services and get your leases signed with the click of a button. And tenants really love using RentReady's app too. They can pay rent using card, ACH, or cash, set up auto pay, get renter's insurance if you require it, and even build their credit score through RentReady's new credit reporting feature. Did we also mention that RentReady is unlimited and all of this is flat priced? No tricks or hidden fees. RentReady is designed for people to manage their own properties so you don't have to worry about paying more for building your business. You can start managing and scaling your rental properties without scaling costs. And RentReady has given us an amazing deal to pass on to the REI Mastermind Network. You can get RentReady's annual plan for only $54 at RentReady.com when you use our special code MASTERMIND. That's RentReady.com, R-E-N-T-R-E-D-I.com with code MASTERMIND, M-A-S-T-E-R. M-I-N-D at RentReady.com to get RentReady's annual plan for only $54. You are listening to the REI Mastermind Podcast. Join J.D. as he chats with industry-leading real estate experts and professionals. We learn from their experience and uncover the strategies to their success that we can implement into our own businesses and we can drive immediate results today. They share their experience and wisdom as we build the foundation to our own success. This is the REI Mastermind Network. Well, we have Eddie Speed on the call here today. Eddie, I really appreciate your time. This is going to be kind of a treat because we could really kind of go in two directions here today that we we kind of chatted previously about because I know that you've uh, bought and sold 40,000 plus notes associated with real estate, but today we're going to focus on how to buy on terms, which I know is a great topic, especially for people getting started in real estate investing. But I am going to have to hit you live up right now because I think we really need to talk about the note buying sometime in the near future. But uh, Yep, love to. So with that, uh, as always, I want to make sure everybody has your contact information and how to get a hold of you right off the bat. So head over to noteschool.com slash get started. And uh, Eddie has a free download on how to get started. And uh, really appreciate you giving that value to our listeners and being on the show today. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. So, you know, I always am always fascinated because I know you've had a ton of experience. In fact, you have I would say a chunk of the people that have been on my show have mentioned you or even been in, in their books. <laughs> so, uh, Eddie, I, how did you get started in all this? Well, it was an accident. Uh, my father-in-law, I started in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. I'm from Mississippi. Uh, and my father-in-law, who was not my father-in-law at the time, was he and another guy were really pioneers of the whole kind of wave of buying seller finance notes. This was in 1980. And so I got started with him buying notes. And then, you know, my wife and I married and moved here to Dallas-Fort Worth in 1982. 
in the note buying business. And uh, so uh, what I learned is we were buying notes from people that were just individuals, what I'd call mom and pops. They were forced to sell or finance because of super high interest rates in the 1980s. But by the later 80s, real estate investors became more and more active in creating seller financing, and then they would come to our shop to sell the note. And of course, that's how I got to know so many people. Um, you know, I guess my most notable client was the guy that founded Homevestors, Ken D'Angelo. And I started with him probably in 19, maybe 87. And then he decided he was going to franchise the house buying business in 1992. And of course, you mentioned Mitch, you know, mm-hmm. he's been on your show and stuff. And Mitch was, a, Mitch was a young renegade probably around 1995 and probably the first 500 notes he ever did, we sort of coached him into doing it because he was trying to sell me the notes and I was trying to help him create better notes. So along that way, I found myself, what I really, what I really realized I was, was I was a real estate investor coach. Mm-hmm. I was their creative finance coach. And that could be creating a note to sell it. And then all of a sudden, you know, we've looked at God knows how many notes over the last 40 years, several hundred thousand. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so from that, I've realized we've seen about every different seller finance notes, some kind of way or another structured out there. And so it started making me realize, of course, I was buying property even in the early 80s, all the way through to today, I was buying properties on terms. Or I'd get the seller to agree to terms a bank or a mortgage company never would. And that would, that, as crazy as that sounds, it would allow you to, what most people would say is overpay for the property. You're paying the price they want, you're getting the terms you want, which means that you're paying them over time and not all, all cash today. So anyway, you get the concept. But that's kind of a long story of how I got to where I am, and and uh, it it has been quite a journey. But I've had quite a fun time getting to know some of the some of the guys that kind of pioneered in the industry creating seller finance notes because I kind of got to be their coach. Right. No, th- this is going to be a just a great conversation because time and time again, you know, a lot of people. This is this is that golden nugget, right? I mean, I I usually try to point out one or two things in an episode to like, make sure you take this and run with it kind of a thing. Um, But I have a feeling this, this whole episode is going to be like that uh, because we have situations where people, especially getting into real estate investing for the first time, they're trying to find ways to, you know, whether it's wholesaling or getting their first rental property or whatever, and they're promised this concept of getting into real estate with no money down, you know, uh, some of those concepts. Well, if any of that is possible, it's really possible with what Eddie is talking about here. And if you can master this and figure this part out, this is where you should begin. So Eddie, like, let's, let's start at the very beginning. How does somebody even approach a possible seller with this kind of with this kind of concept. I mean it kind of takes coaching on their part I would think so that buyers get comfortable with the concept. Well, I mean it, it, it is a process you you learn, but everything that we learn whether it's wholesaling houses or buying rentals, everything's a process, right? I don't think this process is more complex 
than anything else. And I think today, as you mentioned, I think the window of opportunity. So, so I've bought a lot of different kinds of property from ranches to packages of houses to commercial properties. Over the past 40 years, I bought a lot of properties on terms. I've, I've, we've owned over 4,000 properties. So it's not like we're just note guys, mm -hmm. right? So we've used concepts and I have active real estate investing businesses that, that I have partners in, but I'm my creative finance influence is a big part of the equation. So I have been training and going to high end masterminds for several years, over, over 10 years. Right. And uh, these are, I would say, these are the masterminds that the top, you know, four or 500 real estate investors go to. They're in one of these masterminds probably. Mm -hmm. So I, I and, and so I went there and I really didn't hang out there trying to go do this. I accidentally figured out they had a gap in their business. I'm listening to them. They're describing, these are the best of the best, right? These are the mm -hmm. best marketers, the best John Martinez trained. He was been the mastermind with me for 10 years, right? Yeah. So these were the best He's of the been best. On our show as well. Yeah, great guy, <laughs> you know? And so uh, all of these guys were the best of the best. But what they were doing was, is they were making wholesale offers and they were making 20 offers and getting one deal accepted and throwing mm -hmm. 19 deals in the garbage. Well, from an old guy like me, and I listened to it, I'm like, doesn't that just drive you crazy? And they're like, well, of course it drives us crazy, but they won't take our price. And I'm like, well, just go pay, just go pay their price. And I was saying it, you know, tongue in cheek. Mm -hmm. And they're like, what? Go pay their price. I'm like, absolutely go pay their price. And then all of a sudden the conversation gets started. Then they figure out what I'm really saying is, yeah, you're paying the sales price, but it's not what you pay. It's when you pay it. Sure. And, and so then all of a sudden that has, that led to another. Now, once again, I had a lot of examples of things along the way. It wasn't like just something I had to go build brand new. One of the guys that one, one runs one of these big masterminds, in fact, his family has done six or 7,000 turnkey houses mm -hmm. um, over in Memphis, right? And uh, so so I started telling him kind of what I was experiencing. And he says, man, you have got to go like really take this, build this out really deep because this is the market everybody's missing. And, and so I have over the last probably two or two and a half years made this a thing. I still teach regular note buying. It's not that we don't teach that. Uh, because that's what I've been doing for forever, right? A long time. But the other side is I started realizing that what if you were a rookie? What if you were Eddie Speed at 20 years old when I started in the business, right? Mm -hmm. I laugh and say I was so clueless. I thought a loan was being by myself, right? <laughs> <laughs> so but we all know what that feels like. So understand what did I do? I went out and called on realtors to go find seller finance notes. Now, there's a reason that realtors in 1980 with 20% interest rates, there's a reason they knew people with notes because they were forced to carry notes because that was only affordable financing you could do, right? Mm -hmm. So these realtors didn't know where to exit the notes. And so I was kind of there. I was bird dogging really for my father-in-law in my early days. But what I was was I was a, think about a baseball term, I was a designated hitter. I went into a real, t real estate investor's office. I didn't know, I was a rookie. They'd been doing it for decades. 
But I understood a one thing that they didn't understand. It's how seller financing worked and what how they could help their clients that had seller finance notes. So what if you were a rookie? What if you were Eddie Speed of back then and you could go call on real estate investors? I know these guys. I know, I know a lot of them really, really, really well. They're not solving this problem in their business. And so you go into them and you're their designated hitter. You're going to show them how to dig leads out of their trash clean can and go work them. You could pay them a fee up front. You could do a joint venture with them. There's a number of different ways you could do it because they don't have people in their acquisitions team that are currently doing this. And you say, Eddie, you sound pretty confident. I know this is what they tell me every day. They're wanting me to go train more people of how to do this so that they can infiltrate into the business that they already have. And they realize their trash can is full of dead leads that could be revived. But they just, they're just they just busy doing what they're doing. And think about it. If you, went, if you approached that idea, what would it do for you, the beginner? It would give you an angle in the business. You're not just another tomato in the business. You're a guy that's approaching it from a different angle. And I really just will tell you that there's some very sophisticated guys in this business that just think that little discovery that we accidentally figured out is a balance to the business that it's been lacking. Right. You know, so you're essentially saying if you can't control the price, you better try to control the terms. Would that be a fair way of saying it? That's a great way of saying it. Love that. Okay. So with that being said, you know, we, we, we kind of chatted a little bit. You ch- mentioned, talked about uh, how to get yourself informed and being the buyer. But as the buyer, we really have to get the seller receptive to this idea too, 100%. right? Like, like how, did, how do you go about that conversation? The best way to start teaching it is to show people examples of deals like the when when they go to that landing page that we gave them the noteschool.com forward slash get started there's an ebook right it's about five chapters it's about 10 pages a chapter it's not a super long read but it's examples of different ways to close deals everything how we teach the business is based off of case studies because when you see case studies you can paint into the picture how it really worked mm-hmm. so Let's just say that I'm sitting there in front of a seller and and they had a house that was worth 200000 And let's just say that that's reasonable for the market you're in. It could be two hours too low to some degree, but it's it's average, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so the house is that the, the, the house is two hundred thousand retail. Well, what do they want? We already know what they want. They want two hundred and two, right? And they want to close today and they don't want to. There's no process. They just want you to pull the trigger and write the check at the right there the first time you ever made them, write the check and they close. But that's not possible, right? Mm-hmm. Now, we, let's be fair about it. The reason they are not having a realtor close their deal is because there's something weird. And that didn't have to be bad, but it's something outside of the normal list and sell realtor transaction, right? right. Of some way, shape, or form right? Now, all of a sudden, you're saying, look, I'm a real estate investor, meaning that I buy houses at a discount, right? This is the normal industry standard, and we buy houses at a discount. 
what you're telling me is, is I've made you the offer. You don't want to take 150,000 for your house. In fact, you're, you're adamant. You're not going to take 150,000 for your house. So why don't we figure out what would make sense for both sides? If you're willing to operate like the furniture company and take payments over time, I likely could pay you your full amount of equity, right? And so therein lies where the conversation gets started. What does that look like? How does that work? And one of the things that you're going to see in the case studies is, is there's a lot of, I would basically call them puzzle pieces. You can apply different concepts to the same deal or just apply two of the concepts to one deal and four of them to the next deal. And so when I teach people these puzzle pieces, then all of a sudden I just opened up Pandora's box of what's possible. You see, I can tell you statistically that 50% of the people that will carry terms won't carry 100% of their equity. I don't care how good of a talker you are. You're not going to talk them into it because they can't do it. They've got to have part of their money up front. And so I teach people other strategies to how to accomplish that. Like they may carry part of their equity and you may not make payments to them for years. You may, put, you may make zero interest, zero payments, just due in 10 years, right? So it may, there's, all, it, it, there's, not, there's other ways where you might start paying them immediately, but it's a balance of understanding what's possible. So listen, wholesaling a house is a very effective strategy. Mm-hmm. When you find a seller that has immediate cash needs that outweigh anything else. Right. Right. It is not an effective strategy for somebody who has a real estate problem and not a money problem. Right. So that's where, that's where we sort of figured it out. And of course, obviously I like doing it. I've been doing it for a long time. So, you know, one of, one of the things that I think is really intriguing about this is because you're, you're giving people a choice too. Usually, instead of a binary yes or no, I can take that or I'm not going to take that, you, with an option like you're suggesting, you kind of short-circuit their brain a little bit and, and uh, give, make them open to other options that might be available that weren't considered previously. Well, the most effective negotiating the, uh, negotiations in the world is, is putting people in the position of making choices because people that... They don't want it stuck down their throat, right? Listen to the listen how John Martinez trains, right? I mean, he 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 teaches people choices. The Chris Vosses of the world, he gives right. people choices. I mean, so I looked at it and said, I've tried to apply those concepts. I've been I've been running creative finance numbers for a very long time, right? And I've bought mm-hmm. a lot of assets, seen a lot of deals. So I don't particularly personally struggle in that. That's where I think I've been fairly good at teaching is showing people creative ways to do it and not really crazy complex things, but just simple little little templates that they can add to a real estate deal that were creative financing. But the other side, which is the psychology side, which is what you caught on too quick, right? In mm-hmm. other words, if you don't have your talk off right, you're not going to be able to do this. Well, let me ask you a question. How many people are successful at wholesaling that don't have their talk off right? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. It's, it's sometimes it's you see success just because of the perseverance and and how, you you eventually will find somebody like like we've all learned 
even a broken clock is right, right twice a day. That's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah. So, no, this this is this is awesome. Um, you know, and and if if you were curious as to some of those people that uh, Eddie has been talking about here, uh, Voss wrote a, a great book that you should definitely check out. Can't recommend that enough, and I'll make sure to include that in the show notes. And John Martinez, I mean, um, he is he's a legend in himself. If you go down any kind of real estate investing negotiation sales training, I mean, that guy. He revolutionized the wholesaling business. He truly revolutionized the wholesaling business because he taught people the skill of sitting at the kitchen table and effective negotiating. So I've been influenced by those guys. And obviously, you know, I realize that, you know, when I'm suggesting to somebody they can go do this in their business, um, you, you are going to have to, you are going to have to get the initial approach and the right thing. And so my whole style of teaching this is like how to ask questions. Right. And I want to get somebody to, you know, to understand, like I'm, I'm going to sort of lead them into questions that then at the end of the day, you know, like, um, I guess everybody has this in us, you know, and we don't, some, most of us don't want to admit it, but we all have it in us somewhat. We all have some greed glands, right? <laughs> and a seller of a property, uh, they have that too. They have those greed glands. And so they're like, no, I'm not. Listen, let's be fair about it. If they could just call a realtor and list the house and sell it in three days, they wouldn't need us, right? There's a reason that our industry fills a gap in the market that traditional brokerage real estate doesn't fill, right? Mm -hmm. And so they, and we know what they want, but what I've learned to do is position it like prioritize what's the most important to you. In other words, everybody wants all 20 things, but all 20 things may not be doable. What's the three biggest things you want, and can we help you accomplish it? And once again, now all of a sudden, the seller's a lot more in a mode of understanding it. And there are even, there are even some advantages to them carrying paper over time. Mm-hmm. I mean, for one thing, uh, they can avoid immediate taxation, mm-hmm. right? They can take their take an installment sale uh election and their tax return and take the gain over time versus all gain today. Right. You know, and and that's actually, you know, we've, we've accomplished this just a few times, you know, uh, and, and having them carry the note, if you will. Um, And uh, more times than not, it was because they were, that was their biggest concern was the capital gains associated with the property. Um. You know, it's like I said, it, as long as I've been around real estate investing and as long as I've been around the space, I I didn't really I didn't really detect this. You know, I was going to these masterminds and listening to these guys and you know, for if you're new in the business, you have to you have to realize this market's, you know, five times more competitive than it was four or five years ago. I mean, mm-hmm. literally, right? right? So you've got to go you, you've got to go be better than your competition at a degree today that's way bigger than it was in the past, Hmm. right? And so does that scare you? Not if you have the right tools. If you don't have the right tools, then heck yeah, it should scare you, you know, because, you know, you got to go compete with the the biggest wolf in the woods, so to speak, right? 
mm-hmm. and, and, and you got to go compete with them. And so I think there's, I, I definitely believe there's ways to, to accomplish this, that a new guy can really crush it. In fact, I have some students that do an impressive job and, uh, and just adding this to their business. And they just go work with real estate investors that don't have it in their business. And as you know, very few people do. Unless you're taught to do this, you're not going to accidentally do this well. But um, the one thing that I would say, what makes me, you've heard, you've heard obviously people talk about buying on terms before. It's not, oh, yeah. it's not a brand new topic. I think what makes me different is, is uh, I try to listen to the customer and craft the deal based on what the customer tells me. Instead of having one generic offer and you lay that offer over the top of every deal you do, to me, that's not very creative. And the customers will much more likely do it if you can position it in that way. So sometimes it's seller financing the whole property, which would be a first mortgage. Sometimes the seller financing is just on a piece of the deal, which would the seller would carry a second. Sometimes we might do a private money first and a seller second. So there's all kind of different options we can do with the seller and and but definitely every step of the way is like okay you tell me what's important oh by the way the more money they want up front what does that do to the price reduces the price exactly you get to pick mr customer right you know so there's a lot to unpack here but i want to remind everybody again and you, you dropped it one more time there earlier but I want everybody to take advantage of what you're offering and that free download is, I mean, it's, it's awesome that you're so freely willing to give this type of information away. So people head over to noteschool.com slash get started for this information and what Eddie is talking about here. Could we backtrack there a little bit regarding you said, and, and I'm going to say that this is kind of a selfish question because I have a CRM full of dead leads. And, and you mentioned going to that well and, and essentially re, reviving some of those. How would I go about doing that with this new so the, concept? So, I would, so in your case, um, I would, we, we, would, we would get some definition of what your leads look like. Some leads, there's no, you can't fix it. They owe more than it's worth or it's the house is too trashed or, you know, there's going to be 40% of your leads that we wouldn't even probably take a swing at trying to work. It just, they're just too problematic, sure. right? But 60% of your leads, then we would go in there and, and I, we would basically teach you how to go re-solicit the customer and say, look, I've been working with some guys that are helping me with some creative finance and, and do you still have the property available? And if so, where are you at? Are you, are you, are you still wanting to sell it? And if I could, we could structure where you take your equity over time, would you be interested in pursuing that knowing that you could get more money for your property than just taking all the cash today? Right now, here's what you're going to find, right? that's a question that's easy for somebody to initially say what? No, I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. So the, the, immediately I would start clearly working a campaign. Maybe you do a text campaign. 
Sure. I enjoyed our conversation. I was thinking about your response. Let me ask you, what happens if you do nothing? And would would selling it and collecting payments over time with a secure position that you don't have to deal with the property anymore, would would that wouldn't that make sense for you to consider? So once again, it's almost you're literally almost literally asking them for the automatic no to get them really thinking to where you're gonna go with it. So it's not a one question close. It's mm-hmm. a sequence of things that makes them think as to where they are. Right. And I could see this especially working for like absentee owners. That seems like, at least in my market, that seems like it would be a uh, an especially good fit. Well, I have a lot to say about hobbyist landlords, okay? <laughs> I have yeah. a lot to say. And, and those guys are in trouble. First of all, you and I know a lot of professional property managers, right? Mm-hmm. And their stats are not good right now, but their stats are not anything related to the performance stats of hobbyist landlords. And there's 17 million houses, one to four units owned by people that own one to five units. Mm -hmm. Okay. So they own five houses or less. They own a fourplex or less. Right. Right. And they own it in their individual name. Interesting thing. Three quarters of those people self-manage and statistically right now they're 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 rubbing right up against about 35 percent aren't collecting rent right so they have a problem by the way that's an excellent guy to go solicit to sell you a property on terms Mm -hmm. another interesting stat this was all from the urban institute by the way so just so i to kind of quote my source you know so that you know i'm just not making up numbers uh, 60% of these houses were paid for with cash. So they have equity. Right. By the way, those stats that I just gave you are stats that I regularly give, give to high volume real estate investors. And I find myself almost a hundred percent of the time of them going, wow, I didn't know that. <laughs> so yeah, Statistics, especially regarding this. I mean, the the pandemic has caused some significant issues, but uh, you're absolutely right. More times than not, the the ho- like you referred to them as hobbyist landlords, um, especially when they hit a certain age, they are they're pretty much done with it. They <laughs> they're the ones who have who have heard everything and anything, including uh, midnight repairs and what have you. They're just well. And, and we know why it's what you were saying while ago, like people enter in the business and they're not properly prepared to go run the business they've entered in. Mm-hmm. Right. It's a lot different if they go give a property to somebody like you who knows how to manage, then right. they decide right. I'm going to go save the money and do it myself. And then they figure out their investment became, they bought a, they bought a job. Mm-hmm. That wasn't what they thought they bought. They thought they bought an investment. So, yeah. but that's how all of us have survived. For all, you know, this is what we do. We solve problems. I mean, our business is 100% about solving a problem that the guy that we're dealing with can't solve the problem. If he could solve the problem, he wouldn't need us. Yeah. You know, that's something that I really need to put a spotlight on. You know, whether, no matter what real estate business that you decide to go in, you know, we 
you know, whether we do more wholesaling or holding rental property or whatever, when you're buying these properties at any kind of discount, whether it's uh, a lower price or on terms, as Eddie is suggesting here, um, you know, I have an example where we bought a house that we, we fix and flipped. And what made our offer stand out was because the family was dealing with a deceased father and they, uh, they weren't getting along to the point where they wouldn't meet at the house at the same time to resolve like who was getting what and what have you. So our offer simply was to include that they could tag whatever items they needed in the house and we would deliver them to the individual family members. So, but it was enough to uh, make us make our stand out. You know, there is nothing like buying from estates, is there? <laughs> no. <laughs> but you solved their problem. That was my whole point. You know, it's, it, there's usually more involved than, sol- than solving or t- than the cash. There's, there's typically a pro- where there's life, there's problems. Yeah. And, and the thing is, uh, like, you know, and I'll go back to the burnout landlord or the hobbyist landlord thing. You got to you got to remember that they will sell or finance you when you're buying it because they bought that house with the anticipation of collecting long term stream of payments. Mm -hmm. Right. That's why they did it. Right. And uh, except just the management process and their inability to manage it well. And it doesn't mean they're like like anybody that is not really trained at being a landlord probably is not going to be great at it. Right. Mm. I mean, it's just not, it's not, it's not accidental. Right. Um, And, and so, but once again, you think of yourself as a real estate investor and going in the marketplace and, and and like, how can I give this guy exactly what he wants? So I've really, I'm, I'm really focused on that and what I train. I'm like really drill into the psychology of where they are in that area and why they think that way. Cause I just think it's, I think it's a, I think it's a market that isn't worked as hard as it should be. Right. And you know what you're talking about too, is that I think this is another misconception that people who are hearing this, they think they can slap down uh, three options and have somebody pick, pick something this is really a relationship thing as well. Like you, you really have to understand and get to know them. And, and that's, that's the whole know, like, and trust part of this business. Well, the wholesaling side of the business sort of bred a young society, not necessarily young in age, but young and experienced. Mm-hmm. It was a wham, bam, thank you, ma'am kind of thing. And the reality is, is that, you make the most money in this business when you do things that are creative. Right. right. That's just the truth. I mean, you can make good money doing some things and incredible money doing another, but the incredible money probably is related to some creativity and you don't, you can't just unpack the most creative idea to your customer, the guy selling a house to you. You can't necessarily do that in a 45 minute conversation and him sign a contract at the end. Right. That's what I've seen. 
No, absolutely right. You know, if anything, marketing has taught us in this day and age too. I, I don't know if you've seen the last statistics, but I mean, it takes eight to ten times, eight to twelve times, to reach somebody for them to take any kind of action. I would make the argument that 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 is that almost that many times uh, to to build that necessary relationship too. I mean, this is an ongoing endeavor. I mean, and and follow up is key. Yeah, it is. It's a, it's a, it's a, you know, I I teach it in a concept that is sort of a multi-part closing. And the reason I do that is, is because if I were just training just the super high volume guys or somebody with your level of experience, right, I can shortcut some strategies, but I can teach the likable factor first concept to somebody that may not say the perfect words every time, but they leave there closer to the customer than when they got there. Mm-hmm. And so I've really, I've really learned that that really is a very effective technique is it, you know, just teaching them certain prompting things and obviously letting the customer talk, you know, and at the end kind of saying, okay, well, here's where I think that we could go with it. And here's what I think this would do for you and so forth and so on. And once again, like if you notice today, I'm not like trying to go lay out numbers for people. Right. Because it wouldn't be fair to them, right? The the where we're, the resources we're trying to give them is like where they can read some stuff and hear some stuff and see more some whiteboarding and stuff, and then they're like, "Oh man, yeah, I can see how that works." Mm-hmm. But but up front, like people, it's just you know we'll think in terms of this: what would the car industry be today if you had to pay? all cash for a car, right? Yeah. yeah. What is the car industry today? Because you can do a lease or you can get seven year financing or you can look what it did for the car industry. Mm-hmm. So look at how maybe the ability to pay for it over time revolutionized the industry as we know it today. Cause how many, how many cars would how many $70,000 pickups would sell if they didn't have financing on them? Right. Not near as many. So the idea is I'm teaching people the idea of the obvious, which is if you could pay for it over time, you can pay more for it. So, and whether they rent it or they resell it on a wrap note and stuff, I just let that become their personal situation. You know, they can take it any direction they want to. I can make arguments because, but I, because I can say if you resold it, once you bought it and the seller carried terms for you and you're paying them over time, and then if I did a wrap note and you resold it, you know, with the obligation to pay in your underlying mortgage every month, what you then do is have kind of the best of both worlds. You earn transactional income just like a wholesale deal. Mm-hmm. And then you earn cash flow over the next 20 years, just like a rental. Right. It's pretty good. Yeah. No, that's, that's excellent. Excellent. And as, Somebody who has rental properties, what's even more appealing is that uh, you don't have a uh, uh, air conditioner break and then blow your cash flow for a year. <laughs> I train. I train a lot of uh, pretty significant landlords, and uh, so you know, I, I don't debate about the note versus the landlord. I don't. I don't find. I don't. I'm not trying to make that a debate. Mm-hmm. But I will tell you this. 
as long as the grade of the neighborhood and the grade of the property is good. I don't have a, I'm not a guy that teaches seller financing in substandard neighborhoods and substandard properties. That's not, I'm not smart enough to figure out how to do that. Right. But I will tell you this, I have some pretty savvy guys, like really savvy guys that I've helped that they'll go take a third to half of their rentals that the ones that don't perform as well mm-hmm. and owner finance their way out of them. And then all of a sudden they sort of have a blend in their portfolio because when you owner finance your way out of it, you probably double your net income from having it just as a rental. Sure. So anyway, they, you know, it, it's not that somebody should necessarily dump their whole portfolio I do believe that we're entering closer into a note cycle than we have been an extreme lift in value real estate cycle. Mm -hmm. No, it's something that everybody should consider. So, you know, with that being said, you know, and I, I tried to keep this conversation to 20, 30 minutes, like I said, but you can tell it's already extended well beyond that. But I do usually like to give uh, our listeners like a, a couple, two, three action items that if they would make some immediate changes, low hanging fruit, if you will, that uh, they could tackle right right now, right today after hearing this show, what, what would you say would be those immediate things that are easy for them to implement? Just introduce into your language. I could pay more for your property if you took your equity over time. Would you rather have more for it and take your take money over time? Or would you rather have just insist on all cash to take today and take a lesser price? Sure. Just ask that. Just that's, that's a sorting question that separates them right. right there to figure out whether you can, whether you can engage the conversation. No, that, and that is a great conversation because it, it does identify those people who are open to that concept, like pretty quickly. So, yeah, I just really appreciate your time, Eddie. I, I, I could, I have a feeling you and I could probably talk for another hour, um, but I understand, I know your, your time is extremely valuable. So I, I want to respect that. Um, again, if you want more information, and like I mentioned before, if you don't take up Eddie up on this, I, I, th- I think you should question whether you are really motivated to get into real estate investing. You simply go to noteschool.com slash get started, get that free ebook. I mean, there's more than enough information and content there to keep you busy for a little while. But uh, I, I really appreciate your time, Eddie. I, I hope you can, hope you're willing to come back on because like I mentioned before, I really like to dive a lot deeper into the note selling and buying part of this and uh, yes, we could probably spend a good hour on that too. <laughs> I bet we could. I'd love to do that. So thank you again, Eddie. Um, appreciate it. And I hope we can chat again. All right. See you soon, sir. Thank you. This has been the REI Mastermind Network. You can already tell that we've made some changes and a few more are on the way. If you are interested in what we have planned, head over to patreon.com slash REI Mastermind and support the show today. Financial contributions are always appreciated, along with a like, share, and review. It really helps us grow and reach more people with this valuable information. See you next time, and tell a friend.